Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. A lot of us in this country are coping with another pandemic wave however we can. For many of us, that often includes alcohol. But if the idea of a new year with a clean slate feels inspiring, dry January might be something to think about. Andre Picard is our health columnist, and today we'll talk about the rise in sobriety and why taking a break from drinking might help your physical and mental health. This is The Decibel. Andre, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, hi. Can you give us a sense of how the pandemic has changed our drinking habits in North America? We don't have great data, but as far as we know, drinking is up a lot. Uh, there was one poll in the U.S. showed uh, consumption is up by about a third. So that's a lot in Canada. It's about 24%. But when you dig into those numbers, it's not, that's the overall number. So those are averages. And what we're seeing is actually some people drinking a lot more and then a fair number of people drinking less or, or not at all. Can you give us a sense of, for Canadians, how much do we consume on average? Uh, We're actually among the big drinkers in the world. Maybe that's not too surprising. We like our beer commercials, etc. But we uh, consume about 9,900 litres of of alcohol per year. Uh, Most of that is beers. That's uh, roughly 547 cans of beer, 109 bottles of wine each. So that gives you a sense of of how much we drink in, in practical terms. So we talked about how the pandemic has affected our drinking, but the holidays also can be a time of year when people tend to overindulge in alcohol. And so emerge this concept, of course, of dry January. Can you explain what dry January is for people who haven't heard of it before? Yeah, so it's a pretty simple concept. It's just giving up alcohol, uh, being abstinent for 31 days in January. So start off the year without drinking. And it's just the idea is to to think about your relationship with alcohol. It's not to be a Puritan. It's not to be, you know, to join the temperance society. It's just to let's rethink why we drink, uh, ask some basic questions that we don't tend to do in society where alcohol is is everywhere around us. That's an interesting way that you put it, to, to rethink our relationship with alcohol. I, I guess who are the people who might be considering um, embarking on this dry January Uh, This notion of dry January has become popular with young people in particular because it's, you know, a lot of it is driven by social media. So that's an obvious link. There's some popular accounts like Sober Girls. So I've seen a lot of conversation there about uh, how do I change the habit? What are you doing instead of that glass of wine? And a lot of people just exchanging tips and encouraging each other you know the peer support really helps if you don't have that in your immediate circle where a lot of us are isolated during the pandemic you can find that support online a lot of people have found online communities so this is just another way of of getting help uh, even from strangers who are doing the same thing as you so i guess if this is just for abstaining for 31 days a month there People might think this is feeling a little bit gimmicky, maybe. Maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference overall. I I guess, what are your thoughts on this? Could this make a difference? 
You know, I think it, it is gimmicky, but it's it's like any New Year's resolution. Why start January 1st? You know, that's just a launching point and it's it's an excuse, if you will. And I think the, the point is not that uh, you have to give up alcohol forever. I think that the conscious thinking is really the important part. We do alcohol is everywhere around us. We don't really think about it. You go out for dinner, you have some wine, you go out with friends, you drink. And if you say, I'm not going to do that for 31 days, then you, you start thinking differently. But it's, it's not a magic solution. It's certainly not uh, magical if, if someone has a severe problem with drinking. This is not the this is not going to solve it. You know that's the critique often is well. You know this is not going to stop people from being alcoholics. Well, no, it's not. But that's not the point. Are there behaviors that should make people maybe stop and think and take note of of their relationship to alcohol? What you should look for is: Do I have to have the drink? You know, am I sort of not addicted, but uh, is it changing my life? Is it affecting how I interact with others? You know, do I feel I can't socialize without alcohol? When you start feeling that that need, that's when it becomes problematic. Health Canada and uh, the World Health Organization, uh, a lot of these different agencies, they put out recommendations or guidelines about how much alcohol people can, can safely consume. Uh, can you give us a sense of those numbers? Yeah, essentially the Canadian safe drinking guidelines essentially say that no more than one drink for a woman, one drink for a man per day. Technically, if you look at this, alcohol is a poison. Uh, if you drink it, you're poisoning yourself. But of course, the dose makes the poison. So a little bit's okay, a lot is, is very bad, and most people are somewhere in the middle there. Do we have a sense of the kind of impact that alcohol uh, misuse has on our, our hospital system, our, our healthcare system? Yeah, it's a, it has a, it's a big contributor. We know that alcohol contributes to about 5,000 deaths a year in Canada. So these are, are things like liver disease, uh, cancer. A lot of cancers are associated with alcohol, particularly breast cancer. Uh, so that's uh, one reason uh, women have taken a great interest in this. There's a lot of hospitalizations linked to alcohol, about 77,000 a year in Canada. And again, this has to do with everything from car crashes to assaults to uh, alcohol poisoning. And poisoning just means, you know, drinking to the point where you pass out. But if it becomes really severe, you can actually die of alcohol poisoning. So there's there's a lot of health effects and there's a lot of economic effects. Maybe it sounds crude to put this into kind of uh, economic terms, but do we have a sense of how much this costs us as a society? We do calculate the economic costs of all kinds of uh, conditions in, in society and diseases. And uh, the latest one that I saw is about $14.6 billion a year in economic costs. That's a fairly old estimate, but that's roughly, uh, to give you a comparison, uh, cancer is about $25 billion in economic costs. So alcohol is right up there with, you know, $14 billion is a lot. And again, that's mostly lost productivity. Uh, some of that is direct health costs, but it's mostly indirect impacts that really add up over time. So even if it's just for a month that you're abstaining from alcohol, what benefits are there to, to taking a break from drinking for that amount of time? Well, you're not going to have any hangovers. So that's a popular one right after New Year's Eve. People, uh, <laughs> it's a good launching point. Uh, weight loss is, is one. You know, you could lose a couple of pounds uh, because of the, the empty calories. You would definitely save some money. And I think it's just an opportunity to, to, to fill that time to change your habits. So a lot of people will come home, have that after work drink, 
uh, maybe replace that with something else. Like instead of having a drink when I get home, maybe I go for a walk when I get home. Uh, there have been studies uh, of people who abstain for 31 days and they find their liver uh, markers are better. Little things like that. But again, one month of that is not going to change your whole life, uh, your health course of your life. But again, if you keep doing it, then yes, maybe there'll be benefits over the long term. But I think it's people say they kind of feel better or they feel different or they interact differently with their friends. It's little things, but maybe it's an opportunity to look uh, differently at how you, you live your life. Andre, can I ask you, I don't know if you're comfortable answering this or not, but do you yourself do dry January? I don't do dry January because I don't drink at all. I've been, uh, I'm dry forever. So uh, it's a, uh, yeah, you can say, I mean, I'm one of the sober girls. Yes. Yeah. It's an interesting, I write, I write a lot about alcohol because it's a big health topic, but I, I don't indulge myself. And uh, some people criticize me for that. So I, I'm open about this, uh, but I think I try to be compassionate and thoughtful about this and treat it like any other condition. So, you know, you have to do this as a, as a professional approach to, to an issue. And uh, that's what I've tried to do. Let's just take a step back here and maybe look at a little bit of the bigger picture here, too. What about the, I guess, the history of alcohol in, in North American society? Can, can you give us a sense of how our relationship with drinking uh, and what's acceptable or what's considered the norm, how that shifted over time? Yeah, we know that people have been using drugs, including alcohol, for, for time immemorial. It goes back millennia. More recently in uh, North America, the trend has been that about the same number of people drink. So about three quarters of adults drink alcohol fairly regularly, but their consumption has really dropped substantially over time. So what we've seen is people drink less often and they don't drink as much. The flip side of that is we are seeing, especially with young people, we're seeing a lot more binge drinking. So when they drink, they don't drink often, but when they do, they really drink a lot to the point of, you know, risking their lives. So to get back to this idea of, of dry January and abstaining from alcohol in general, it seems to have gotten a little bit more mainstream. How popular has this, I guess, this move to sobriety become? A one in four people don't drink. We always forget that. We just assume everyone drinks all the time and it's... Uh, Actually, an increasing number of people don't drink or drink a lot less. Yeah, I think especially, I mentioned earlier, especially among younger people, uh, there's not the stigma anymore. Like it used to be very stigmatized if you went to a party and you didn't drink or if you were a, a business person and you went to a lunch and you got the, you ordered the Pepsi instead of the martini. That was really frowned upon, right? You People felt they were being judged by you, etc. And we there's been a really significant shift in that. And I think young people in particular, I'm not sure exactly why, but they, they have a really interest, uh, they're very interested in this notion of sober curious. So a lot of younger people say, I'm not going to drink first, whether it's January or July or, or whatever. So it's an interesting cultural shift, and I'm not sure exactly the, the roots of it. Uh, some people have speculated it's because they have seen their parents drink a lot. They've seen the impacts of alcohol in, in society in the older generations where, where alcohol was much more prominent, and they're, they're reacting to that. And yet, as, as you mentioned a bit earlier, Andre, alcohol is everywhere in our culture still. So 
Given this, what are some of the challenges that people should anticipate if they are trying to stay sober for a month, if they're trying to do dry January? Yeah, I think the big one is peer pressure. So if you're drinking, you probably hang out with drinkers, right? Uh, Non-drinkers tend to hang out with non-drinkers. You tend to hang out with people who are like you. So if you suddenly change the uh, atmosphere, the environment in which you interact with your friends, that's going to be hard. So the, the number one recommendation I hear from people doing this is you have to enlist your friends. We talked a little bit earlier about how the pandemic especially has been a very stressful time for people. People are feeling a little bit more anxious and sometimes alcohol is kind of the way that they might help alleviate that. Is there any, I guess, any tips or any ways that could help them maybe kind of overcome that or work their way out of that routine? Yeah, the big one, the the big tip they give in all the dry January material is to replace that habit with a different one. So when I mentioned before, instead of the glass of wine, walk the dog is a good example. Just get into the the habit of doing something different. You know, this doesn't have to be about suffering. Uh, I heard someone yesterday say, uh, I've replaced my glass of wine with I have a chocolate. I have a fancy chocolate every night. Does drinking actually help reduce anxiety? Is that actually proven? I think that's a very complex question. I think it does relax you in the short term, but uh, again, it depends on how much you drink. So yeah, there is some relaxation there, but then it turns into something else. It turns into more anxiety. Uh, We know that alcohol is a depressant and a lot of depressed people turn to alcohol because it makes you feel giddy at first, but then the depression gets even worse. So it's a really complex relationship between emotion uh, and mental health and alcohol. These are all very intertwined issues. They're not simple at all. So if drinking doesn't necessarily really help your anxiety, then could there be a benefit to actually maybe feeling less anxious if you do stop drinking for a while? I think, again, anecdotally, we've heard that from people if they realize they've used alcohol as a crutch. But again, it's not going to be a magical solution. If you have severe anxiety, there's other things you can do rather than uh, in addition to stopping drinking, like getting counseling, etc. So again, there's a lot of factors that come into this. But I, you know, overall, I don't think there's any downside to stopping drinking or reducing drinking. I think that's a, a message of dry January as well. You're always going to have some benefit, however small. What would you say to someone who might try to do dry January, uh, but they might not make it the whole month and they might feel, you know, disappointed or even ashamed as, as a result of that? Yeah, you know, I think the old adage, uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of good is a good guide. Uh, you know, we're already past January 1st. It's not too late to start. Uh, you can fail on Tuesday and start again on Wednesday. You know, it's not a big deal. It's not uh, a big moral test of your character. It's just something you want to try. And sometimes people will have that glass of wine on on day 15, and that's fine. Sometimes the failing is actually more informative. It helps you adjust better to, to make these lifestyle changes along the way. Andre, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Andre Picard. You can find him on Twitter at Picard on Health. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. 